Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's repeated several times in different places that after our Savior is crucified, that is, after his arms and legs have been nailed to the cross, and while he is dying, the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees came out to look. And they are saying things. Isn't it amazing that they still can find their voices? But they are saying things probably to encourage each other the way thieves and murderers can encourage each other so that nobody breaks ranks. But what they say is fascinating. They make a religious deal with Jesus of Nazareth. Let him come down from the cross. If he comes down from the cross, we'll believe in him. So, what kind of God is it that those men believed in? A God who would do their bidding? A God who was subject unto their whims, their demands? We glide over that little short piece of information, even though everyone records it, without stopping to think, what a situation, what a predicament the men who ruled the Israel of the Savior's day are in. They want to make this deal. They want to cut a deal. It's almost a dare. And yet, in the pages of the New Testament, we see that to which our Savior responds. It is not men and women of that mind, of that spirit, aggressive, assertive, demanding, proud, arrogant, but to those who are humble of heart, and those who in their humility have learned the most fundamental of all human lessons. They have learned to love, and through love they can forgive and ask to be forgiven. These men, who stand there wagging their heads and flapping their jaws and daring the Savior to come down from his cross, know neither humility nor love. They are not stupid, they are shrewd. They are essentially political men attempting to protect their turf and the socio-economic system and the theocratic system that is their meal ticket. They know where their interests lie. But in fact, we who are looking at them back over 2,000 years say to them, you don't know anything.
The Savior that they were dealing with is the one who, as in the Old Testament section that is read just now, is the one who can take the dry bones of the dead of Israel and reconstitute those skeletal remains as living persons. Persons who manifest themselves as persons through their glorification and worship of the Lord God, of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. Such ones can rise up because in their reconstituted mouths there is an eternal Alleluia sung out to the God of Israel. That is what Christ can do, what he will not do, is obey the whim of the chief priests and scribes and Pharisees who are standing as he lays on his cross, expiring, humanly speaking. We have to be very careful about the God we actually worship. And this day of all days reminds us how crucial it is to our survival unto all eternity that our whitened bones will be reconstituted as the living persons that God has created us to be, centers of love, loving forgiveness, loving repentance, love of God and of neighbor as the self, that we will be thus reconstituted, provided we do not mistakenly worship a mistaken God. In other terms, that we not commit the grave sin and blasphemy of idolatry to worship that which is not God. We can think that perhaps some of the chief priests, scribes, and Pharisees actually wanted Christ to come down from his cross, actually hoped that he would do it. The problem being that even if he had, they would have been stuck with a misconception. They would have then asked him to get rid of Pontius Pilate and all his Romans and soldiers and enemies. And then they would have wanted this, and then they would have wanted that. They didn't want God. They want a genie out of a bottle, a magician, a superman. But they wanted whatever he was. They wanted to control him. You and I can make this mistake in subtle ways. Whenever we despair or despond or become depressed because we think God is not doing what we thought he ought to do. We pray, we pray, we pray, and we listen and we don't hear anything. 
God is silent, and God sometimes is silent. Sometimes we despond and throw up our hands in despair and become depressed and give up. Oh, I tried to pray. I prayed for hours, days, weeks, months. It doesn't matter how long. God's agenda with me, his calendar for getting back to me, is exactly that. His agenda and his calendar, not mine. And I will stand and wait for as long as God wants me to, knowing full well that while I am waiting, things unseen and undetected by me are happening. The vast majority of the people on the day of the human death of Jesus Christ had no idea what was going on. A few understood. We know almost all their names. A Roman centurion figured it out. One of the two malefactors crucified with the Savior. He understood. But you can count them with small numbers. Most people did not see what was happening. They were not looking in the right places. They did not receive Christ's actual answer because they had failed to ask the right question to begin with. How many weeks, in fact by now, how many months have we been preparing for this very hour? Six pre-Lenten Sundays, six weeks of Great Lent, and this week of Holy Week. Three months, twelve weeks, a long time. But how blindingly swiftly it passed us by. There were times when we seemed to catch it and to be deeply moved by the season. But other times we became preoccupied with the affairs of our own life. But now, whether we have fasted strictly or leniently, whether we have been thinking of Christ as the center of our life or not, now we stand before this sepulchre, this epitaphios, But you and I know the secret of this tomb. In a very short time, it will be empty. Only the grave clothes will be left behind, folded up. And women will come, thinking, mistakenly, but with love, that they have a duty to render to the dead. And they will be the first terrified human beings to receive the news of the resurrection. The difference between those women and the disciples and the chief priests and Pharisees and scribes is not that the Christians got it right and the non-Christians got it wrong. 
it's very clear that the women were not expecting an empty tomb. It's very clear that the disciples had a mighty hard time wrapping their minds around the news of Jesus' resurrection. So neither they nor the ones on the other side got it right. But what they had on their side was that no matter what happened, they loved Jesus Christ most of all. They clearly thought he was dead, but his death did not put to death their love for him. So what differentiated the Christians from the non-Christians was not knowledge, but love. You and I are learning large and amazing things from this day, just as the first Christians learned large and amazing things from this day and the next and the next. For this is the true school of Christendom. This is where we get it straight and get it right. This is where we behold the truth in its splendid purity, unalloyed with anything else. No one is trying to sell anybody anything. This is God acting and reacting and interacting with us sinful men and women. And how wondrous it all is, amazing beyond all telling. We will be treated by the Church over the coming weeks to gospel after gospel recounting with what amazement and, quite frankly, disbelief the news of the resurrection was greeted by the best friends the Savior had on earth. But in time, as you all know, since you are graduates of the School of the Church, on the great feast of Pentecost, at last it will all become clear through the power of the Holy Spirit. They will at last remember things in a way that makes those things coherent. And they will go out to the ends of the world, ready to shed their blood, to share the great and stupendous news that it does not all end in a grave, in oblivion, in the annihilation of our personalities. There is no news like that on earth. There has never been and there never will be news like that. Amazingly, the Savior predicts that at the end of time it may be hard to find faith on earth. How sad for that final generation. For how wondrous is this faith of ours in this risen Lord, 
who came to us when we were yet sinners, and for nothing more than love itself, suffered, died on a cross, and was buried in a small, cold tomb. In short hours, we will be singing our true anthem of the homeland of our heart's desire. Christ is risen from the dead. By death hath he trampled down death, and upon those in the tombs hath he bestowed life. In this lies our most cherished, our deepest hope. This is the motivation for all our love, all our forgiving, all our repenting. This is our everything. May God grant that as the fruit of this Lent, whether we have come to it from the beginning or as St. John Chrysostom will remind us in a few hours, even at the eleventh hour, that we will enter into the joy of the feast of the Savior's resurrection. May it be so, and Amen, and Amen.